Hey there, and welcome back to the Amy Kunkel Audio Hour. On today's podcast, I am talking with Molly Copan. I met Molly recently through Toastmasters, and our conversation today is winding. We talk about all things from her practice of Buddhism, how she was raised, the different um, places she's lived, the careers she's had, her marriage, how her first marriage ended. We talk about depression and um, how our personality sometimes can lead us down these paths where we might end in frustration or depression. And um, I just really appreciate Molly's openness to have this conversation about her life. And I really hope that you listen to it with compassion and, uh, and relate. I think that you will relate to it. A lot of us have um, gone down this path of life and possibly even wondered, I, I don't know why this is happening, but having a perspective of it's happening for me and not to me is a shift that can actually change the trajectory of your life. So um, I hope that you enjoy this conversation. And um, if you want to follow Molly online, I will link that up in the show notes. And if you haven't yet rated or reviewed my podcast, I would appreciate that very much. So let's go to the show. Well, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, I met you at Toastmasters, mm-hmm. and you became my mentor, which I thought was really cool, because after we had coffee, I was like, now I know why we're brought together. <laughs> we have so many just things that align somehow. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the first things I remember um, that sort of triggered that, I don't know, I want to say like universal tingle was when you told your um, the story of how you met your husband in Toastmasters, which is kind of like a, I told the story in Toastmasters. We didn't meet in Toastmasters. Right. Oh, right, right. (laughs) Yes. So, um, do you want to share that? Maybe that'll be a good opener. Yeah. Let's see. I met Nate online. Yes. And and that's what people, a lot of people when I was doing online dating and I did it for a long time for different purposes. I moved a lot. And so I, I became an expert. I've taught classes on it actually. Really? (laughs) Yep. And, um, a a lot of people would say like, Oh, let's make up some story about how we met. And I thought that was the stupidest thing because I, I think it's such a good way to, you know, if you're really, I I was in my thirties. So it's like, I don't, I'm not just hanging out to hang out. I'm you know, I want to find out certain things and certain things are disqualifiers and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. You can't stay open to everything forever because you'll never like find your person. So, um, so it was my job to find a person and I did. Uh, and, and I think, you know, just knowing, just seeing how people express themselves in that format and of course having some facts about them ahead of time helps out. Our first date, I was we. I really didn't think it went well. <laughs> he, I know, so I was surprised. I think he called me the next day or two days later, and he's like, "I want to see you again," which was so straightforward. 
and I it was unexpected. I was like, really? I that surprises me. He's like, yeah, no, I I do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but one of the reasons that I thought, first of all, he's very very quiet, and I'm not. So I, there's that little balance issue in a first conversation. So he you know he mentioned he was Buddhist, and I made some like quip about. Later in the conversation, oh, that's not very zen of you. He's like, oh, yeah, that's a typical comment, <laughs> which just cut deep. I was like, typical? <laughs> well, I never. And so, um, which now I know is a typical comment. Right. Because now we both practice Buddhism, and I see the differences in the type of Buddhism that we practice versus what most people picture as um being a Buddhist practice or take people take different pieces from different things, which is a good thing, I think. But, uh, yeah, I knew, I knew nothing. He's still not, I mean, he knows a lot more than I do. He grew up in the practice and everything, but, but yeah, that was our, that's, that's one thing about him that makes him different than a lot of people, I think. Yeah. Well, and I, I think what I, um, my daughter had to do a report on Buddhism and my new changes in beliefs, I feel like they've gone a little bit more towards what I know now from talking to you is the Zen Buddhism, I think. But, you know, again, I feel like I take a lot of, I take a lot from all different practices of spirituality and religion and Mm -hmm. all sorts of things. So um, I thought that was kind of cool. I was like, oh, I wonder if my daughter interviewed her. And then you had said recently that someone interviewed you about. That we had been interviewed, yeah. And it's always a surprise when someone's like, oh, can we talk about Buddhism? And we're like, sure. And it's totally different. Like our, we practice Nietzsche in Buddhism, so it's totally different than what they have probably read. There are, there are just, it's such an old religion, Buddhism, or philosophy, that there are so many different tracks depending on where it traveled in the world. So our, our sect where we, you know, SGI originates from Japan rather than India where you think and, you know, where you would typically think of that. So Hmm. that was cool. Well, and, um, I think the other thing that we had started talking about from there was just how your career path kind of in life has had many evolutions and for me I feel like the same thing like I I started on one path and I've kind of come back to that path but Mm -hmm. um but that was one thing that I thought was really interesting because you said (laughs) why don't you tell a little bit about your um maybe your career path because I think it's really cool that you started in vocal performance Mm -hmm. and now you know are doing something very different yeah so um How's that kind of evolved? People people sometimes ask me, like, what do you do for a living? And I say, whatever I want to do, all the time. Right. Any, anything I want. <laughs> and you had a podcast, too, which I thought, yeah. I had a previous podcast before mm-hmm. this, and it has now suffered from what people call pod fade. Mm-hmm. Um, Mine, too, at but, the moment. But it'll, that's okay. it'll come back, though. I'm keeping it kind of warm. Yeah. <laughs> it's in giving them my $5 a month to keep it up, and we'll build on it someday. Yeah, so, but I thought that was cool, too. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. she's had a podcast, she's had a lot of, you know, different moves career-wise, you know, let's talk about that. So, my career path is 
it seems funny to say career. Someday, I think I'll look back on it and see it as a career. But along the way, it really just seems like leaping from, I feel like Tarzan kind of like from branch to branch or vine to vine. Just like, I don't know, I grabbed this one. So I started out going to school. I chose my my first school for two reasons. One was because um, I had received, I've been singing was in voice lessons, received a lot of great feedback, you know, positive attention for singing. And, um, and I love doing it. Um, and I, and so I was choosing, um, singing vocal performance. And then the second reason for my school choice was to follow my high school boyfriend. So had I not had that factor and maybe focused a little bit more on what type of singing or what you know, what I really want to do in music, because I do love music and I still do it. Um, but had I chosen a little bit differently and, and maybe had a little guidance there, I may have just had a, a music career, a singing career, and uh, been very, very happy. As it was, I chose a school in northeast, northeastern Ohio, which is very gray during the winter. I already knew that, but <laughs> right. I didn't have the experience of also living in a dorm and then um, when you're in a vocal performance major, I loved my teacher, I loved my studio mates, I loved, you know, like I was encouraged to compete and all, you know, I was, it was a positive. However, you also had to lock yourself in a, you know, 10 by t- 10 square gray booth with just a mirror in it hmm. <laughs> and sing and work on, and I was like, well, why am I crying? <laughs> <laughs> this isn't working. I don't feel happy at all. And so... Um, is that like the recording studio? It, it's a, it practice booths. Okay. So there mm-hmm. are like long hallways. In any any music school, there are just like this... There's a big... There's a whole floor of just mm-hmm. hallways full of these booths. And you walk through them and you hear violins and pianos and vocalizing and... I didn't think there would be a mirror in them, but that's interesting. For singers, yeah, it's important because you have to see where, you know, you're standing balanced, you're... You want certain parts of your face to be relaxed. You want to see the shape of your... Because you have to picture what you're doing. And hmm. so... Mm-hmm. And all I saw was sadness in that mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that girl crying? Um, and so, you know, that was my first experience with depression. And, and like, I, I would just stay in bed all day. or And I would skip classes. And I, you know, had a pretty... Um, the only reason I went to that program for my second year or I didn't leave earlier was because I had promised a schoolmate that I was going to be her roommate in a, this new apartment building. And when I told her I was thinking of leaving and going to another school, she was like, well, you promised and you can't. Now thinking like me now, I would be like, yeah, well, I think you will be fine. Right. <laughs> and I'm leaving. <laughs> so that got pretty bad as far as... um being really depressed and isolated and that year. So then from there, I chose a school. Here was my uh, criteria for my second school, for my second major. I wanted to work with more horses, and I wanted to be warm. I wanted to go south. And so um, as I was going through the list, alphabetically, Averett University was the first on the list. It was in Virginia. And I was like, well, let's go check that out. And I went down there, and that that um, choice, that selection worked out pretty well. <laughs> I did like the school, and, and 
learned about the sport of eventing, which is still my, you know, when I do get back to riding, that's what I'll do, eventing and dressage. And so, um, and I happened to meet my first husband there. Uh, he was my professor, my instructor, <laughs> my teacher. So that led to a different kind of experience in college life. Um, and also my, my career, my equine career really followed him because his, his parents moved down, bought a farm in that area so that we could work, um, build a business at the farm while he was still working at Averett. And it was, um, pretty dysfunctional (laughs) with in-laws down there. And yeah, so that was, that was the big, there are so many factors. It's not simple, but, but yeah, that, that dynamic was crushingly dysfunctional and, and terrible. And, you know, looking back on it, I think, and, and looking back when I, when I look back at the whole timeline, I think, man, that you poor girl. Cause I used to think like, what are people going to think? What does this look like to other people? But now I'm other people, mm-hmm. you know. You have more I'm someone else, or... and I can look at her, mm-hmm. you know, doing that thing and think, and, he, you know, my my ex-husband, like, like th- these are, this is not good for, yeah, <laughs> for right. anyone involved. Like, you think, what was I thinking then to have, endured that or thought that was normal well I knew what I was thinking because I remember it quite well and I still feel it but but I think like you know I look I think oh she didn't know (laughs) that there was any you know my life now is so different my relationship is so different with my husband and and I was a uh, single alone for a very long time and and navigated really did a lot of self-study and did a lot of um you know, finding myself. I went out to California and did did that whole journey. Um, so after your first marriage, yes. Okay. Yeah, so, there were lots of stops in in between. There mm-hmm. was a there was a five year span when I moved twenty five times, and that's not like all the moves in my life. That's just that five years. I've moved since then, and I moved before that, but that was a real upheaval. Mm-hmm. period of constant change and just not finding purchase anywhere just really sliding down a hill and trying to climb back up you know do you feel like you had mentioned that was probably one of your biggest shifts in your life like mm-hmm. I would call it awakenings like your biggest awakening after like when you left that marriage when you moved away from Virginia so I did not leave that marriage he uh, left me. He started dating my best friend. So uh, the story, I don't know how much we want to focus on that story, but it is very, it did, you know, really shape me. I, I could not survive in that environment anymore with his parents there, with the isolated nature of my life. The only people I knew were the people who came to me to get riding lessons. And if I held an event, then people would come. But otherwise, I didn't, I didn't meet anybody in the community I didn't you know I knew of people at other farms because I would go take my horses there and and take lessons or school at their in their cross-country field or whatever but very very insular and so I didn't know so people coming in must have thought like man what a what a heart and actually I did have I should real actually reach out to Nancy I had a really great client who 
um, would, would say, you know, this is a really hard life that you have where, you know, this is, and so I think back on that now, and I think that, that was really like nice of her to tell me that. Cause along the way, I think why, you know, when I was dating my professor, not that any of this I regret or anything like that, but, um, the women along the way would, you know, sort of shunned where I, and I recently realized that the Dean of students there, the Dean of the college would have conversations with him and not with me. And she was a woman like she, you know, and I sort of, and now as a woman, I, I like, I really think, okay, if I'm ever in that situation, I don't care how that person reacts to me or how right they think they are. I want to say the words to them, you know, whatever they, whatever I am feeling that, that they might need to hold on to later. Right then I might not have heard it, but, um, you know, right. Just I think that was really, that was really someone who, I mean, I don't blame anybody. Like I'm going to listen to anybody. I'm 22. I know everything. So yeah, <laughs> but right. I, Back I think, then, wow, that, were the dean and... of the college and here I am a young woman, mm-hmm. like go, you know, dating someone who's 10 years older than me and my, in a position of authority, you know, and she's talking to him about his job, not about, you know, not to me about my life or, or that I know of, I, you know, or t- not to him about, you know. Mm. Right. Like, were you, um, what's your, like, religious background at this point? Do you feel like you were brought up in a certain way or sheltered mm-hmm. or? Well, I was brought up Christian. We went to a Lutheran church till I was about 12. And so I, I was 12 and I was in catechism, mm-hmm. which is, you know, when Catholic you, and, yeah, yeah, when you learn the things and become a member. And I was like, mom, I don't think I need to learn this stuff. No one asked me if I want to be a member of this church. And she was like, hmm, okay. <laughs> and that's the first time I remember really being like coming up with my own idea and being listened to. And I was like, oh. All right. Somebody. Good for me. I think I was right. So, um, and it turns out she wanted to change churches anyway, so that worked out for her too. But so then after after the Lutheran church, we were in a non-denominational small country church. So that from from that time I sort I I was very very active in youth group and very active in the church and I would sing at the church and stuff like that in high school and then in college I would come back to that same church and we would you know, I would sing there, and I w- got lazy about finding a church in Akron, and um, which some people would correlate to my to my uh, you know, depression. But it's just life; it's just a journey; it's just how it happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, later, I mean, pretty soon, I would say when I was in Virginia, or maybe even before I moved there, as I'm starting to really look at the world on my own and separate myself. I moved to Virginia without knowing anybody and without, you know, I didn't have any family around or anything. So I was really observing independently and never went to church there. I never, I didn't look back. I was, you know, I would classify myself for most of my life as non-religious. You know, I think we're all spiritual in whatever way we tap into that whether it's I mean I think even people who are I don't know yeah yeah I think (laughs) well I just there is meaning in my life there's just not um you know I don't 
I'm not, I don't subscribe to a deity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, that's something I was considering when you kind of got yourself in this situation with your, you know, professor and, you know, I'm just kind of curious, like, what your perspective on life is. Like, are you, like, for me, you know, you're supposed to get married before you have sex and, I mean, just all the things yeah. that the Christian faith puts on you and mm-hmm. all the things society puts on you. Yeah, I had for... let go of that by then. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you were, you were kind of making your own way in the world. Mm-hmm. And you feel like you got in this position where you were 22 and <laughs> your husband. So you guys ended up getting married. I met him family. when I was 19, yeah. And we got married when I was 23. And then all his family lived, came in, lived yeah. there. How long, how long did you stay there? And then what, what really triggered um, your... Well, let me check my shift. timeline here. So <laughs> I, um, I moved down there in 1999. And that's when I, I met him my first semester. He was my writing instructor and teacher of a, a couple other equine-related classes. Um, I got, we got married in 2003 and we lived on the farm together from like 2001 and it was, yeah, really bad. I was like living with his parents and they, I think they hated me looking back (laughs) at it. I didn't realize it at the time because why would anybody, I mean, why? I didn't do anything. Right. Why would anyone not? But then later I realized as, as you know, the, as we were moving away from the farm and things like that, that I was like, oh. They really, they actually, they hate me. <laughs> they, they encouraged his affair and they, you know, it was very, um, but when, so we were together from like 2000 to 2006, 2006 is when I, so five years or so, could that be right? We didn't get married until or we didn't get divorced until 2008. So. And do you feel like, when would you say like you had, like you said you were kind of in depression during college and, mm-hmm. or during your, um, your. In, in, when I was in. In Ohio. School. In mm-hmm. music school. And how did you get out of that? Was it just changing the scenery and moving to Virginia? Yeah. I mean, I, sunshine can do that to people. Yeah. I think it was, um. I now know that I I need more than, you know, I I don't I I <laughs> I'm not I'm not made to although I do like thinking and studying and working on my own, I also need support and I need the social interaction. So, I'm much more apt to really love and enjoy like a choir and harmonizing or a duo or a trio or you know the natural solo I think just being just feeling alone I didn't have any other yeah I don't know I I think maybe just the camaraderie with the equestrian world I was really doing physical things I wasn't doing anything physical as um, a musician and but you know, in high school, I would I did have that outlet. I wasn't in sports, school sports, or anything like that. But I rode horses, and I was there all the time. I was always moving and always working hard and doing physical stuff. And I think that really is a big component to my staying 
mm-hmm. sane. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really a good point because I feel like that too. Like when I am just in at my computer working and doing like architectural drawings, like I just have this intense pain like in my neck and I it's just so like stressful for me mm-hmm. and I have anxiety that showed up mm-hmm. and all sorts of things because of that. But what you know, I really do enjoy working with people, talking to people, yeah. going out and being. I'm like, maybe I should have been like a yoga teacher or a physical trainer or something because mm-hmm. I like working out too. But I don't know. It is. I can see that. You still can. I know I still can. <laughs> I I maybe will. <laughs> um, so you had kind of that shift in your life. And then when your marriage ended, not by your choosing, mm-hmm. it sounds like. Do you feel like that empowered you or did it cause more of the like low in your life again? Both. So it was the weirdest feeling and I'll never forget. And at the time I was like, this is incredible what I'm going through. And I was really in it and identifying it. Oh, it's not even like looking back. I can see what I learned. Like Mm -hmm. it was one of the few times that at that time I was like, this is what's happening. And this is why this is going to be good for me. So I moved um, from the farm when um, I couldn't survive there anymore. I mean, I was suicidal at the farm. At that point, I was like, if there was a gun beside me, I would be, I would be gone. Like, be worried. Or, no, I would be gone. Be it, it would be an, it just an, an impulse. Because I, your in-laws were living there. Your husband was there. Like, just it was, all the negativity in your life. There was a lot of things. Yeah. And we don't have to get into it. And it was, you know, and, were... and when, you know, when you have a farm, you can't ever take a break. Those horses need to eat twice a day. They need their stalls clean. They need, you know, it's care. And so making, I think part of it was making the, um, the jump from the two of us taking care of, you know, 20 horses every day to paying someone to do it was like, we weren't bridging that. And so... Um, and there was never a vacation. We were always only, you know, we were only, I mean, it was just too many things to name. I can't say, oh, it's because of my in-laws or, it's, I mean, that certainly was a terrible dynamic and a terrible situation. Um, but it's not one thing. But um, when we just, dis- when we decided to leave the farm and do something else that the decision was made. And I, and I was like, you know, okay, so we've stayed here so that you could have your job at Averitt. At that time, he lost his job there. And so I said, why don't we let me have a career? And I will go and find, I found still, I would still consider it my dream job. And uh, it was in the Hamptons, the um, end of Long Island, where the fancy people go on vacation. Oh, I've heard. I've heard of the Hamptons. <laughs> I have never been. Yeah, it's pretty. It's great. So I lived in, um, I lived in East Hampton. I worked in at a farm in Amagansett, and the. So I was working there, and I, and again another time again where my boss and she was a wonderful woman. She probably hates me now. I'm certain she at least hated me for a while. Maybe she wouldn't now. Maybe she's over it. But um, but she was really wonderful. And, and one of the, you know, first examples of a woman who was very strong running a business and also considering that she had weaknesses and get working on those weaknesses with um, 
you know, when you work with horses, when you're at a high level with horses, you're not necessarily great with people. And uh, she was, she was aware of that. And she knew that there were things that, you know, and she was, she was, had a business coach. She went to psychotherapy. Like she was very involved in holistically being a good and strong person and woman and example. And, and I will never forget her and for that. And, and, but, and I was there. So I, now I think looking through her eyes, I like, I don't know how she didn't see me falling apart. She might've been, she just maybe wishful thinking that I wasn't. But I was working 80 hours a week, and for a while I was doing an amazing job at that um, place. After a year or so, though, of my my husband would say, you know, would be scheduled to come up at the, on this weekend or that weekend, and things would come up. Oh, I have this reenactment I have to do. I have this I have to do. I can't come because of that. And he would continually put it off. And to the point where, at first, it was like, well, I can't afford a ticket to come up and visit you. So you were living separately. Yeah, he was supposed to, he was ostensibly selling the farm and moving up and it just just never happened. Mm -hmm. And so, um, she even, my boss even transferred some of her, um, like miles, points. She's like, we'll bring him up here. Right. And he never did. It was a free ticket. He never, he just didn't, he kept not coming. And so eventually I realized that I would call my best friend you know, he wouldn't be available. So I would then make the call, these two calls that I would make all the time to like keep in touch. And I would call him and he wasn't available. I'd call her and he wasn't available (laughs) or she wasn't available. And, um, eventually certain things started clicking together and, um, voila, they were dating. (laughs) So, um, that was devastating. And that was, that took even like two years or a year probably to really get through that. And I, and I didn't let go. I said, well, you're, this isn't your choice. We we're in a contract, we're in a marriage, we're going to, you know, so in that part of it, I know that I, first of all, it was the first time I had the feeling I've, this is really serious. Marriage is different than dating, you know, and I had that very distinct feeling like, you know, why don't we just break up? Well, because this is a marriage and I, you know, and you know, people would say, people will say, I'll, I'll hear, oh, why don't we need to get married? It's just a piece of paper. And somehow it's not. And somehow, even not, I don't care about, you know, the before, before the eyes of God right. business. It's not obviously. about religion. It's just right. a it was, commitment. It was, a, it was a vow. Yeah. And it, that's how I, I was like, oh, this is what a vow feels like. I'm not giving up. And I didn't want to. And I, and, and I knew that if we got past that, then we could rebuild and we could learn a different way than what, you know, the really dysfunctional before the farm and before all that, we really were good. We really were happy. Um, but anyway, so that was one thing I learned is that it's very different and that, uh, it was my first experience with, with really doing, just giving everything I had and doing everything I could and, and leaving the door open and being, being loving and encouraging and understanding and, um, till just the bitter end until I was like, okay, now I've done everything. I've tried everything. And now I have to, it's time to let it go. And of course, when I started letting it go, he's like, but I don't know if I, (laughs) so, um, it was painful. And so I would, every day I would go to work and I would do the things that he'd taught me to do. So I would, 
you know, be long lining horses and lunging horses and get a lot of praise for these things that I was really, really good at and thinking, you know, this, these are the things he taught me. <laughs> so there was this feeling of this maybe I should just leave this. And then I thought, you know, the, the processing of, well, this is mine. You know, this, this was mine before him. I, I don't love this because of him. I didn't come to horses because of him, you know, so I'm sort of taking it back and then understanding, I mean, I would have conversations with people and people knew what I was going through and my, my employees and things like that. And I remember, you know, being in my office and working and, um, a, an employee coming in to talk to me about something and I would just look up and we would just have a conversation while I'm just crying and we're just carrying on this conversation, still conducting business. And, and I'm just, just, I'm like, don't, um, don't mind the tears running down my face. What can we, and, and really like separating. I mean, I was falling apart, but still like conducting business. And, um, in a lot of industries, you couldn't do that. I think that would be really like as as an engineer that would be um you'd be sent right. home pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Right. We don't we don't do that here. <laughs> but of course there's a lot of emotion anyway, so it's not like it's like ugh, yeah. You know, um it's not ideal obviously. In any way, I got on medication to stop the tears <laughs> coming down my face. Um it didn't make me happier, but it did make me stop crying and that was convenient, much easier to do work that way. <laughs> and and as I'm going through this, I mean really just shattered. I I have never felt such physical pain before that or after that from from mental and emotional duress. And as I'm going through it, I I really was very distinctly processing that this is the worst thing that I could think someone could do to me. And, um, and look at me, (laughs) I'm not dead. I'm surviving it. I'm like, I, I go to work every day. I'm, I'm doing, and I'm getting through this. And I was really had just this like understanding of being again, separate from myself being like, you're, you know, you're like, this is okay. So what else could, so what else could happen? Whatever it is, you can handle it, you know, mm-hmm. is what I thought. And, and I know there are, it will be harder things in my life and challenges. And I know that's not the last thing, but that was the thing that was like, okay, this is how you know how strong you are. And I knew that very acutely during that time. I also understood really acutely during that time that things do not happen to me. They're just happening. Mm-hmm. James was just trying to figure out his life. And I don't mean that to be like dismissive of the fact that he really damaged me and really, I mean, I'm still, I'm still processing it. It still comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's been 10 years, 10 years, over 10 years. And so, but he, but he was just trying to navigate his life my friend <laughs> the mistress a little bit yeah a little bit more difficult but she's just doing her thing and it doesn't help me to be like well you did this thing to me they just did a thing they did mm-hmm. a thing and I was collateral damage they weren't doing it for the intention of hurting me they certainly or at least she certainly didn't seem to mind hurting me really odd but uh right I've, yeah, but just that understanding of like they're they're just trying they're just 
trying to find happiness. I don't think they did. No. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Which we won't comment on. <laughs> but I, and understanding that, like, there's nothing that I could do to mm-hmm. them that's making that's gonna not come to them that they they you know. I wanted to burn her house down, and I didn't. So kudos <laughs> right. to me. For that. <laughs> I was also really far away. That was a plane ticket, and I did. I never did go back to it anyway. But so those yeah. were some things that I was very intensely just aware of things at that time. I was just really deep in my mind and my feelings and my just knowing that I just had to live every day, and someday it would be better. I don't know. Yeah. No, that's actually like that's a huge shift I think in your perspective of this isn't an isn't happening to me but maybe it's happening for me for my own good my own evolution my own growth Mm -hmm. and I think for you to be able to have that awareness during it is I mean I think that's one of the things that I I have learned in my maybe last two years is that idea of um, almost like non-attachment or um, like not really labeling it good or bad. Mm-hmm. It just is. Yeah. And for you to be able to say, instead of feeling like a victim, which you could carry with you forever, or feeling, you know, like this was a terrible thing that these people did to me, releasing it and just this happened. Mm-hmm. And... I feel like, I mean, do you feel like you've been able to just move forward in your life without so much of the pain and the baggage maybe that if you held yourself as the victim and you held them as the people who did this to you, Hmm. you wouldn't, I mean, it's like when they, they, I think there's, I don't know, I, I probably would say it's like a Buddhist thing or a... Um, a quote that I hear a lot is like, you hold the keys, you hold the keys to your own freedom and I don't know, maybe I'm getting it wrong. It, it seems like when you, you know, forgive people, like you're not the one or like, they're not the ones who are actually being released here. It's like you're releasing Mm -hmm. yourself Mm -hmm. and yeah, that's tough because they those those two are still I probably think about it every day. I probably still think about that situation and them every single day. And it's been a, it's been over 10 years. So it's I know that I I grew from it and I know that it was I I and I know that I'm really happy in my life and I know that our path leads us where we are. And wait, I had a train of thought. Let me think about this for a second. Um, well, that question started out with a, did I, have I forgiven them or what? Like by forgiving them, you're actually releasing yourself. You're not really releasing them. Oh, you mentioned, um, baggage and what's funny about I, I I still think about them but it seems to still be in a useful way because I know that when I every once in a while, a while I've had to contact him for certain things 
And every single time he cries. And I don't. <laughs> right. Um, I, I do think it's... I, I, um, okay, wait, let me get back to where, I'm trying to think of what your first question was, because you should have made a note. Um, does, do I feel like I, oh, have released that? No. And it's not my proudest. (laughs) That's the, um, it's, it's different to understand the value in it and, and, but also release, I still have anger a little bit because I think that I revisited at, at certain ages that he was. So when I was 35 or 30, you know, 36 or 37, that's when he would have been leaving me. And I think, you know, I think my life experience at 36. Right. And Mm -hmm. I think what kind of a messed up you know, how did he get to that point? I'm glad I'm not there at 36, you know, like, and, and, th- and then that thought triggered, like, what about me at 29 when I met, when he met my 19 year old self and think, like, I, I'm glad that I know that, that if I met, you know, if I had some sort of affair with a much, much younger person. I'm glad that I have the perspective like that, that is taking so much from them. And not that I feel like, I do feel like he, he took from me in certain ways and, and, um, that I really wasn't a tailspin for a long, long time. Uh, but I'm glad that I know about that. I'm glad I know what kind of effect I think I would not be as, uh, as concerned with other people. (laughs) If I hadn't been so damaged, I remember what it was. Uh, so you said something you asked. Oh, baggage. A lot of people say, well, I bet you find it hard to trust people now. Mm. <laughs> and I don't. <laughs> Dating after that marriage was so much fun to me. And I went, I mean, I dated a lot. So, and I did, I had no issues with trust, I think, because I had no expectation. So that, mm-hmm. once I was going to be in a serious relationship, then there were things that came up, but people are like, oh, but you have really serious issues trusting. And I thought, well, what what worse could someone do to me than that person who, you know, that the more I think about what I lost from that, and I, and I don't, you know, I'm not, again, not speaking in terms of regret, but I could have moved from, you know, from that program to become, a, you know, internet, you know, like work internationally and work, you know, really work at a high level and ride at a high level, you know, and I didn't because I stayed with him on the farm, did these things, different path, but I, I, you know, I lost a lot. And so when, I, when people say, you know, is it hard to trust people? I think, well, no, there's nothing worse that someone could do to me that I wouldn't at least be not surprised. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one's going to surprise me anymore. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. So then after you, you mentioned like you started taking medication to stop the crying. Mm-hmm. And um, do you ever meditate? Do you ever have any like, 
practices, like, because I know when I first had anxiety, you know, go straight to the doctor and they just give you pills. And so, yeah, and I was hesitant to do that. And it was, it, it was necessary and it was temporary. So, I yeah. mean, and I've had other experiences before that, you know, I don't, I'm not an advocate or I'm not pro or against medication. I yeah. think everybody does what they need to do. Right. And I did. And I, and mine was the same temporary and, um, sorry. And I, <laughs> uh, I feel like I now I have more awareness that sitting at my computer, stressing myself out over, you know, hours, I just need a break. I just need to get up and go outside and take mm-hmm. a deep breath. And so I feel like I have more things now that are kind of implemented in my life to catch those triggers or those problems that come up. Mm-hmm. Um, so after you were up in the Hamptons and you were working and you were still feeling like not where you, were you feeling like this is not where I'm supposed to be and ended well, up leaving that? I left that because I was, that's when my divorce was happening. It's not because I didn't feel like it was where I was supposed to be, but I was being disintegrated. I was being filleted by this. I mean, that's that's the mental image that always came to me. I just felt like somebody was just slicing me open down the front and filleting. Everything hurt. And everything was exposed. And, oh, it was awful. See, I could cry just thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Poor me. And you were up in the Hamptons, and he was still... He was in Virginia. In Virginia. And all of this... And I didn't, you know, and, and, I, and I can remember the dates. December 13th, I, I found out that they had slept together. Um, or in somewhere at some time in November, I found out that they had been hanging out together and it was inappropriate. That was, that was my birthday, December 13th. I found out they'd slept together. Um, and then after that, I found out that his parents had invited her to Thanksgiving and, and that they were, they were really actively pushing this relationship. So these things I'm finding out, I'm on my own. I'm like far away from my family, far away from anyone who knows me. And to, to still now, I'm not, I, I don't know anyone who knew me during that time. I, I know one person, she lives in North Carolina and she's, we're, you know, we're still like friends. We don't, but there's no one in my life who knew that time of me and how, how it was. So I was, I needed taken care of. I needed to be taken care of. So I had to leave that job. I mean, I was falling apart. I was not doing a good job anymore after, you know, and I was just, like I said, I was just disintegrating. And I basically had to abandon that job. And I packed up my truck and I drove back to Ohio. And I Is your family here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I stayed in my mom's basement for until I couldn't stand it anymore. We yeah, mm-hmm. we butt heads as adults. As but adult. she provided that mm-hmm. yeah. Like nurturing and comfort mm-hmm. in yeah. Yeah, so that it's not because I didn't love my job and I didn't feel like I belong there. So, and I think that's the kind of career that, like, if I, if that had never been, you know, that that would have been a great fit for me. But I had to heal. And so that's mm-hmm. what I did. I went, I went and <laughs> hid under a rock until the divorce was final. It was like a year later or maybe six months later. But, yeah. So, so was the question, did I leave the equine industry because of that? Yeah, I wondered if you, you know, you talk about that as being kind of a great time 
in your life and but that you left it and well it wasn't a great time in my life yeah well it was a very suitable career for me and I was good at it and I could have had a really really fulfilling great career in it I could have gone far um in whatever direction, whether it's it was like facility management or riding or training or whatever, there was a lot of options for me. But, but I, it, I, it broke. <laughs> that part broke. And then having the taste, being home, having the taste of, being able to go. You know, I reunited with some friends. Actually, old friends of mine. Um. They would kill me if I knew I told this story and didn't mention this, but. A friend of mine from high school, my best friend from high school, I just saw her like the other day too. We reconnected because of MySpace. <laughs> we reconnected and MySpace like MySpace ten years ago. Yeah. Okay, I'm like that's not still going right. No, no, no. <laughs> we reconnected while I was there, and I was like, and and it's falling apart. You know, we were like, and and I think I'm gonna have to move home. I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And she said, "We'll come get you." Oh. So. Oh. Yeah, that's funny. I still cry about it. (laughs) So having that feeling, having that taste of being taken care of, Mm -hmm. which I had not had probably my whole life. Not that my parents didn't take care of me growing up, but they were like busy getting a divorce and they were busy, you know, I was kind of like pretty independent and I, you know, but having that feeling of really needing to be cared for. And then being able to be there for people, because my, you know, while I was working with horses, my brother got married, he, you know, lots of things happened, and I couldn't be there. I couldn't come home for friends' weddings. I couldn't, could never leave. And so, having that um, experience of living at my mom's house, and when somebody needed a babysitter, I could go babysit, and when somebody needed, you know, I could be with my friends and have, Mm -hmm. and then... Going back to horses after that, I was like, oh, yeah. I, I kind of, like, tasted balance, and I couldn't get back into the horses. And because I was sort of having to start out again, um, I don't know. You just can't do it, kind of. You can't do it. It's not a 9-to-5 thing. It's your whole life. So. Yeah. so, And then it would mostly require moving away to work in the sort kinds of businesses and, and riding schools that I would want to work in. Yeah, I didn't know that about, like, the equestrian. Like, I mean, I guess I feel like I have a dog, and I walk him and I feed him. But, like, have I, I guess I do have to have someone take care of him when I'm out of town and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. But if horses are your business and your... Yeah. I mean, that's... And at a certain level, they're... I mean, at any level, they're a huge investment. So if you're taking care of somebody else's horse and that horse becomes, un, you know, gets kicked in the field and then is lame and unrideable, then that's... They've lost a huge investment. And, you know, in the case of when I was living out there and, and actually other jobs I've had too, these are like multi-tens of thousands and or $100,000 horses. Wow. Just the purchase price, right? Well, let alone all the, the equipment and the you know and the vet care and the riding lessons that they put into it's, yeah, it's a big responsibility. So and I took it really seriously. You know, if you have a horse with an eye injury, you have to go out and visit it every two hours, twenty four hours a day. You know, you have to go 
you know, some medications every two hours and injuries or ailments mm-hmm. and things like that. You have to be around the clock. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's hard. It's a hard life. Yeah. As Nancy said, she was right. Well, and I think it's kind of a cool transition then that you come back to Ohio you have that respite and you also are able like you said you have this balance now in life that you didn't even maybe know existed because you have you know had so much time mm-hmm. um yeah and at that time see this is this is still 10 years ago so at that time it's uh probably the pendulum swinging far to the other like you know, if we're really talking about balance, I don't spend every day at my friend's beck and call or at, you know, just being able to drop. But that was a really nice experience to have, being mm-hmm. able to just drop everything and be there for people because I could. And I knew, and again, I knew at that time that wouldn't be forever. So I was sort of really appreciating it. Mm-hmm. And now I know from talking to you recently, you're going through kind of a career shift. Mm-hmm. So. Over the past 10 years, you've had a podcast, you've done a couple, like, other things. Do you feel like you've learned and kind of gone in another direction or had a life, did you sort of have a life transition at that point then? You were back here in Ohio now. So I was back in Ohio in 2007, 8, um, but then... After that, I went back to horses. I went to Maryland for a job. I went out to California for a job. I, I Maryland, Ohio, and and again, like I said, I I I'm not sure if I told you now or before we started recording, but I moved twenty five times in the year in the five years after mm-hmm. my husband and I got divorced. So that's including um, before before I moved to the Hampton, Hamptons. I worked for a short time for Karen and David O'Connor and. Northern Virginia, that didn't work out. And I think they were like, oh, this girl's going through some stuff. I don't think you need, I don't think you're good for this right now. Yeah. And they were so right. I was really disappointed, but you know, I look back and I'm like, man, yeah, I was, they saw what a mess I was. Um, and which was nice. <laughs> Not, uh, it's nice to be seen, but, um, so the, the shift has been this whole time the career change. So when I, when I moved to California for a job with horses, I finally was like, yeah. Um, you know, I met, I had two different stints with people and I'm like, I, okay, I don't need to keep meeting these people. I don't, I don't need horses in my life. I need to figure out the things I'll do anything else. I just want to work around people who are respectful. And I don't think that's too much to ask. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And since then, I've, my list has grown from just people who are respectful to a lot of other things. But, um, but I went into um, to some temp things. The temp agency literally said, well, I don't know what we're going to do with you, but we'll, we'll call you if we can, which was not encouraging, but it worked out fine. They, um, and I got into college admissions for online schools, um, and then that didn't work out. I I got my... I mean, it did not work out. I, I, I grew restless, and what I what happens is I'm restless in most of my career, most of my jobs, and and so what I've discovered is that I can do anything for about six months. I can do anything, be great at it, and be really happy doing it, for about six months, and then I, and then, no more, you know. 
I I require real uh, like actual growth and learning and and variety and and that a lot of careers don't offer that so I have done a lot so you're talking about like the podcast and a couple of the podcasts photography I I did a mastermind group for entrepreneurs I did uh, Uber and Lyft those four things that I mentioned those are just in the last year Hmm. so it's you know times that by every year previous to that that's how many things I've done so. Um, but college admissions was the closest thing to a second career that, that, uh, I encountered and that's what I'll be going back to is working in higher education. So. Well, and I, I know, I think maybe we talked about it, but I try to talk to my kids now, not about necessarily their career path or their profession, but really about what excites them, what makes them happy, what, you know, and not try to put it into a box because not everything fits in a box. That's true. That's true. I mean, and I was kind of thinking in terms of, um, I guess one of the um, entrepreneurs that I listen to is Gary Vanderchuk, and he talks about um, how a lot of kids, you know, a lot of kids are going to college because their parents are telling them they have to go to college and they're kind of on this path that really isn't right for them. And it's more the parents' egos that are saying, well, my kid went to Ohio State or my kid, you know, instead of letting the children really express themselves in traveling or maybe helping them discover who they are a little bit earlier in life Mm -hmm. instead of putting them on this track of a profession necessarily. Um, Because I feel like I followed architecture as my profession and my track without even really knowing what it was or really knowing Mm -hmm. if I was a match for it. And so now I feel like I'm kind of discovering who I am and and what I want to do, and then maybe if it fits back into architecture, then great. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, you've done a lot of personality tests, so you've done a lot of, like, learning your strengths, and mm-hmm. um, and so that has brought you to where you are. You have a lot of life experience as well, and I mean, I feel like, for me, like, that's a bonus. Like, mm-hmm. I don't ever regret any of the things Mm-hmm. that I've done and going to college and getting my license and all I don't regret that I feel mm-hmm. like I've but I am too very similar like I do get bored with things easily and so I wonder well what's next for me well I'll write a book I mean mm-hmm. it sounds fun and that's what mm-hmm. I'm doing I'm not too concerned now what people think about me right. <laughs> and what I'm doing yeah um so I don't know. I think that's just a good way, like, for you to bring that back. Do you feel like what you're going to choose to do now is a good, um, is it a good fit because of your personality and your interest and you like, you know, helping people to discover what they're doing, you know, what they want to do in life? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so as far as college path I see I really see both sides of the coin I, I've seen people get into colleges for 
the wrong reasons and go to college because they think they should or they think that's their only their only way to have a career and I think that's unfortunate because there are a lot of trades and a lot of things that you can do without putting yourself into lots of debt to have a fulfilled life and and give yourself more freedom because you don't have all that debt mm-hmm. um but then again I also think it's a it's it's important to you know I do you know a well-rounded person who can who knows how to research who knows how to um, speak to other people and interact I think that's very important when I went to college the first time I was looking around me like how do all these people know what this is Uh, like everyone else seemed more ready than I was so I think I would have been a really good candidate for maybe taking a year or two off or in you know I didn't have, like, now I look at schools and I'm like, this is what I want. This is what I want to do. Doesn't this, don't these classes look fascinating? At that time, I was like, oh, I guess I have to pick a school. I don't know. Uh, uh, here's one, 45 minutes away. I can do my laundry at home. <laughs> you know, my boyfriend's going to be there, which, by the way, he broke up with me before I even started school. So <laughs> should not have been a factor. But that's the way life goes. And so I was not a good, I, I think I would have been a candidate for that self-exploration first. Some people seem very, very prepared. Like a lot of people, I I have a friend, my friend I mentioned in North Carolina, she's a vet. She went straight through high school, straight through college, took a year off because she wasn't accepted to vet school, but then went straight through vet school. And I'm like, how did you know? Yeah. <laughs> and she's happy and she's wonderful at her job. And so for some people, it does work out that way. And the one thing that I discovered, and this is the discovery that I made that I realized the first time before we talked the first time is that um, I have taken a lot of assessments and that's partially because it's something I love doing and uh, I am because I can't figure myself out so I feel like it's helpful so things like the strengths finder and things that you can access that many people take like the Myers-Briggs and things like that I'm familiar with but also I went to to start a master's degree in counseling because I thought, okay, this is this is what I want to do. I want to help people, and I want to help people through their transitions in life. And I thought that was the way to do it. And turns out there's a, another probably more suitable to me way to do it. However, in this half a master's degree that I have, which is, if you're counting, zero master's degrees, lots of debt. <laughs> Not counting. <laughs> that amounts to just only debt. Um, no one cares about half, half a master's degree. But I did take a class, two classes that were really influential for me. One was assessments, so it was just really indulgent. We took every assessment, you know, like throughout the whole semester, all we did was take assessments. So we assessed, we we got all our codes. And um, the other one was career counseling class. So um, in both of those, I don't remember all the the assessments, but I remember being really fixated and fascinated with the Holland Code, the RASIC, it's R-A-I-S-E-C, because um, RASIC stands for Realistic, Artistic, Investigative, Social, uh, either Entrepreneurial or Enterprising, I've seen both, and Conventional. So those are six Mm -hmm. options that you can, you know, and and you take the assessment and find out your top three. And most people's top three, they... They put it on a wheel, R-A-I-S-E-C, and on that wheel, some are directly across from each other. Most people don't get that result. Most people are like this part of the wheel with maybe a little this thrown, you know, but they're not directly 
opposed pie pieces. Mm -hmm. And I have two that are directly opposed. And so it, I didn't pay much attention. I thought it was funny when I took it. I was like, Oh, it's, uh, I was like, Oh, look how I'm uh, so funny. I'm rare. (laughs) And then I would start looking at the, they, the codes correlate to jobs. Mm-hmm. careers and there are things like when you look at the actual book of holland codes it's really thick and you can you know you find things like cow poke i mean it's not like it's not like engineer you know, engineer <laughs> or just correlating to majors at a college it's it is for everything so that's something i you know if you wanted your kids to like take that that's mm-hmm. something that really gives you inspiration because mine, the things that fit are like photographer. <laughs> like, you know, you don't necessarily, if I'd started a long time ago, maybe I, you know, and I do ha- do photography as a hobby. But the very first thing on my um, Holland Code list was horseback riding instructor. And I was <laughs> like, like, well, wow. shoot. <laughs> <laughs> I did that. I'm not going back to it. But there are really not that many more matches and there really aren't many. I don't think I've found any that correlate to a master's degree or to, or that, you know, whatever the word is, would match up to much in higher education. Except for now I'm, I, I, when I met this career counselor, she said, did you know that's called an inconsistent Holland code? Turns out she's an expert. She's like the, the area expert in, in the Holland code. And she said, did you know that that is called an inconsistent Holland code? She's like, only 2% of the population has an R and an S. A realistic, it's realistic and social. So realistic means that you like, you're a doer and you like to be alone doing things. Like for me, it's like grooming horses, cleaning stalls, like um, editing pictures and things like that. But you also have the S, which is social, which is the helper. So you want to be a support to people. You want to you know, social work, things that have the social components. You need both of those things. And not many jobs have both like the really hard work focused doing component and a social helping component. Hmm. She said, I have an R and an S. <laughs> she had one like, too. Two and I was like, my people. Right here. <laughs> and I was like, chills. I was like, okay, let's talk more. She said, and she studied with the guy who, think it's the guy who taught the guy Don Holland she studied with his professor I believe if I have that right um and she's like and it's been incredible because I have had the same kind of thing she's then she she said his input on the inconsistent code that she has and that I have an R and an S is that you will feel like you should fit in everywhere but you do not fit in anywhere and I just was like Oh, that's exactly it. Or in, in like when I, you know, think about it, what I've said is that I, I can do anything, but I can't accomplish, like I can do everything, but I can't achieve anything. So it's really, really been hard for me to fit in. And I've been searching for why that could be. And I can name a lot of things that were different about my upbringing than my brothers or that, you know, and so I don't know chicken and the egg. I don't know. I didn't take it when I was in high school or when I was in school. I took it when I was an adult after all kinds of turmoil. So Mm -hmm. who knows what shaped that or what I would have gotten years ago. But I think, I think the same thing because I mean, I really horseback riding that was, or riding instructor. That was my, so, um, 
that gave me such great hope. And then I went home and Googled and, and we talked about the program that she'd been in where she found her fulfillment in higher education because, you know, there's so much Friday and there's so much expectation for growth and learning and doing all kinds of different things. And so, and that's where I've pictured myself and, and really an environment where I can just learn and grow always. And that's a lot to ask of a corporation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot to ask of any company because they, you know, they're got certain, you know, their focus. So um, I went home and Googled inconsistent Holland code and there's not much about it. But the one thing that is about it is someone who talks about it and he says he, he has a career count. He's a career counselor, which is what I've decided that I'm going back to do, too. And, and so the only other person, the only other research I see who has an inconsistent Holland code went, you know, went for counseling as a career counselor now. So like, man, (laughs) that must be a good fit. So I'm looking forward to, that's really, I want to do a lot of research. I mean, I have a lot of, I don't know if I want to do a lot of research. I have a lot of ideas for angles to research that inconsistent Holland code Mm -hmm. because there are, there are things that I'm like, you know, if I just. I mean, mental health diagnoses and things that maybe aren't, weren't what people thought they were and were just legitimately, I just don't fit in. It's mm-hmm. not a moral failing. This is like, you know, I think, oh, I should do this or I should be like, people say, why did you leave that job? You were making good money. And I would say, I was die. I was suffering. I, <laughs> right. You know. Unhappy. And, it, and people say, oh, everybody, nobody likes their job. And I, like that's oh. not just it. It's not like I didn't, you know. And and a I disagree. Right. <laughs> I don't I think you have to. I don't think you have to suffer daily through your job. And I think that that idea is changing in our culture. But mm-hmm. um, but also I think like that it's it's not just that. It's not like oh I'm bored with this. It's like I gotta get out of here. So mm-hmm. so mm, I'm on to my next step. Yeah, which is which is really fusing that whole journey together. You know, that's having a lot of career experiences is a plus in this in this um vein of work. And I think that's what I, that's what I need is something where all my experiences are going to be they're going to look at it and be like, "Oh, good. You've done a lot of stuff." Right. Instead of, "Oh my gosh. How do I make sense of this?" Yeah. Well, and I think I know, like, my husband and I are very different. He has kind of followed one career path that's been very, I want to say type A, but it's just, you know, it's very cut and dried. And he is 100% happy with that and has, you know, retirement plans Mm -hmm. in 10 years, like, because he doesn't need any change, like, doesn't want any change. Right. And um, I think... You know, he travels a lot, and there's a lot of things that I would change about his career. But, I mean, quitting is not an option. And so I feel like for me to have more of an open mind about work, and even in just life, like when you say when your husband left and your marriage disintegrated, like... You know, some people would, oh, gosh, I lost my train of thought. Um, You're talking about change, whether people like change or not. Right. Like, 
it just really, oh, you said it's not the worst thing that could ever happen to me. And I feel like that was really, um, you know, I think in terms of like work, like, well, if I start building a house and I can't sell it or we can't finish it and it's an investment project and we lose all the money, like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Mm-hmm. I mean, are we going to be homeless? Probably not. Right. Are we going to starve to death? No, we're not. I mean, and really looking at it is like, it's just a job. Like, it's okay if it doesn't work out. It's just money. It's just an experience that I went through. It's just a marriage that's over. Like, mm-hmm. and really just... Like, looking at it in the perspective that you said, you're like, it's something really bad that happened, potentially. Well, I, I do think that was... At the time, I thought, you know, this is the worst thing that could happen. It it, it was. Mm-hmm. It was the worst thing I could imagine somebody inflicting on me. And, yet and I thought... You survived. There we go. <laughs> right. Yeah. Look at that. I did yeah. it. Like, I worst. wasn't expecting to accomplish this, but I have accomplished getting <laughs> right. the worst thing I could think of. And it's not, I mean, it's not like, you know, that's getting, getting into comparing things. But for me, you know, having that surprise, I knew for sure that was never going to happen. I was Mm -hmm. married. We were, we were in it. And sure enough, I didn't know. (laughs) Turns out I was wrong. And, and that was, yeah. But then just looking at it and just moving past it and going, okay, like that was the bottom or that. Or this is the bottom. Or this is the bottom. I don't know how long I'll be here. <laughs> yeah. And and being able to continue to move on and maybe even use that to shape how you make other decisions. Mm. Like you're saying, oh, I'll get this degree and I'll, I'll follow this path, but I'm not going to die if it doesn't work out. I'll just do something else. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> you know, like maybe it's just really helped you to have more of it an open perspective and not be so like, this is the only thing that I can do. Like, yeah. Yeah. The, the only thing I ever wanted to do is something that I decided to, uh, to leave that I didn't need anymore. And so that was, you know, making the decision to ultimately to not, not keep trying in, in the horse business you know, I was 30 and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm working for someone who's as mean as a snake. This was someone, this was not in the Hamptons. This was in California. And that, that was the meanest person I've ever encountered. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't need, need any, I don't need people like this. There are other people that aren't like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would, I would rather be happy. That's where Buddhism really fits in too. And in, in my life is that it's about being happy that's it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and how, you know, wanting others to be happy too and, and letting go of a lot of our own expectations or shoulds or conventional um, constraints in just, just figuring out, well, does this make me happy? No, no. All right. Well, guess what? I don't have to do it. <laughs> I have that choice. So, yeah, that. It definitely has opened me up to change. And I and I like change. A lot of times people, you know, like at one time someone in Toastmasters started a speech like, who likes, you know, who hates change? And I'm mm-hmm. like, 
I love change. Change is, you know, because every the the thinking is that people hate change, but people one of the greatest things I've ever heard is that people don't hate change. People love change. Ch- you know, people change things because they want something better. It's transition that people that's really uncomfortable and difficult, and people don't, you know. And the longer you spend in transition, the more you think that well, that's what change is like. Transition's uncomfortable, but change. When you're to the other side of it, it's great. Amazing. Mm-hmm. That's a good, a good wrap. Um, I will ask you maybe one practice that you do in your life now, and it could be anything really, but something that helps you to just live in the present moment. Do you have a practice or a habit that mm. is part of your daily life? Maybe that you had asked that before too, like a meditation or something, you know, on along those lines too. And I forgot to circle back to that. A practice now, so in, um, like when I lived in in on Long Island and when I lived in California, my the thing that really fed me was going to the ocean or going to the water. So um, I re- I really really missed that when I got back to Ohio, and I don't know, you know. I mean, I, I was, I really missed it. And I think now I, I go to the woods if I can, or go to somewhere with my dog. And that's, she's sounds corny and maybe tried or fake, but it's really true that she inspires me. She, you know, she's, she's like, like wants to look at everything. She's excited about everything. And she's going to like, if she fall, she falls in some water She's like, oh, well, I'm swimming now. <laughs> she's not like, oh, my God. She's like, oh, I'm swimming. swimming. I'm going to see what's in water then. I saw her one time. She thought she was jumping off of a something onto grass because it was covered in green um, plant life or whatever. And she was like, bloop, underwater. She didn't realize it was a pond. And she was like, whoa, I'm swimming. Okay. And she was like swimming then. And she didn't, she did not miss a beat. So, but doing things, and she gives me a reason to, like, an excuse to remember to go outside and to go, you know, we go along the creek or we go, I make her swim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she likes it a little bit. Um, go find things to look at. She helps me look at other things besides just my phone or worrying about. Um, but I, I think cleaning is a practice that I do. Mm. I'm not like, going to say I'm a neat freak. I was going to say like deep cleaning or no. decluttering because I could probably do. I do love decluttering. I do love getting rid of stuff. And when I say cleaning relaxes me, you might think that I have a clean house. I don't. Mm. I'm not a good housekeeper. But I do find that like when there's a mountain of things to do, if, you know, turning to that and then tackling it and, you know. Accomplishing. Yeah. Things. And, I, and I, I do find a lot of. I'm not good at meditating, silence, sitting still. And I and I have done it and it's I'm more of an active meditator. Walking, um doing the dishes is a real active meditation for me. And so, um I've never been good at meditating and I've tried it. I'm not opposed to going back to it sometimes and sometimes that's what I need. Um or just a deep breath. I mean, that's sometimes yeah. for me all I mm-hmm. can do is just yeah. take a deep breath. We now have a, a room that's like our quiet, like, 
nice room with our fish tank in it. So sometimes I watch my watch my fish swim mm-hmm. around and mm-hmm. think about what they might be thinking. <laughs> they have a similar expression on their face all the time. So there's not a lot of variety in what I think <laughs> they might be thinking. <laughs> uh, well, I joke a lot about if my dog had thoughts, he would be like, why didn't you take me for a walk? You took that other dog for a walk. Why do you have to take him for a walk? And, you know, I mean, yeah, it's nice to just be... I spend a lot of time walking my dog and that kind of thing mm-hmm. and just living that perspective of always being curious, always mm-hmm. looking at the day with great expectation and, yeah. you know, not clouded by anything that we might be dragging along un- yeah. unconsciously. Yeah. I have also taken to journaling a little bit recently. And it's something that I've always admired when people do it. And I think it's useful, but I've never like had the discipline to, and now I sort of have things now I've, I have, I, I will take myself to my desk and sit down and just write stuff down. Even if I'm like, well, who cares? No one's going to read it. I, I really starting not, to, you know, not judge it and just like write not judge my handwriting and just get stuff out. And I think that's helping clear space to think other things. Yeah. <laughs> think no, new for things. sure. So and, and so the short answer is, just like everything else in my life, what I do for uh, a practice changes all the time. And I go and I just try to tap into what, whatever it is that I need. And, and mm-hmm. one of those things is usually it. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. Well, thank you. Thanks for talking to me today. My pleasure. So long and winding uh conversational journey just like my life (laughs) yeah well and I feel like I want to bring on conversations that just help people to see a perspective I mean in the perspective that you've had on looking back at all the different things that happened in your life and you know transitioning from them and when we talked the first time you were like do you feel like you're in transition and I thought oh that is such a good question because no, I feel like I'm done with my transition, mm. but now I'm open to the next thing. Yeah. That's funny because I feel like I've been in transition for 10 years. I I I am always. So that's why, you know, when you say something like um like don't you just want to follow your passion? I think I want stability. I haven't had it. I I mean, I just really haven't. And and even like growing up I cannot think of a time when I'm like well I guess not you know there was a certain amount of stability I always knew my parents I always you know lived with my mom or both my parents or whatever but there was instability there also so having someone my husband is very very stable and very like steady and that's just revolutionary to me mm-hmm. so it's you know, there's a little part of me that's like, ah, but, but mostly it's just so, it's such a new feeling. So, um, I, I, I don't need a whole lot of following my passion. I did that for a while and Hmm. change, change will come. I don't need to, yeah, it just feels good to have some stability Mm -hmm. and I become more and more introverted as I get older. Yeah. Just like, I have everything I need at my house. I don't believe. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is. It is the ebbs and flow. Like you said, the pendulum's like shifting mm-hmm. and, you know, both are good mm-hmm. and fulfill different aspects of who you are and yeah, your life. So, mm-hmm. 
All right, well, thank awesome. you. Thank you.